0: Salute de Scipoli and Salute Omnes. Welcome again to another episode of Latin in Layman's. where we're going to kind of do a little bit of some story time, me diving into the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur, and also talking about the moral implications embedded, as well as ideological myths embedded. Ideological just refers to things that explain the unexplainable, and that's what humans are doing and why we have these myths and parables and, you know, everything that harkens back is has been used to serve as a means of delineating the metaphysical, right? when we turn things and we give it a language, we prescribe language to something that we hadn't prior, we make that said metaphysical entity physical in a way, because now we can extrapolate a little bit more information from it if we give it a word that we can refer to it. If you don't have a word for something, it's hard for you to kind of refer to it. That's why if you think about it spiritually, Yahweh was never meant to be pronounced because as it's written in scripture and you're also not allowed to draw Yahweh as well. That's, that's making the metaphysical physical and that's in turn, um, doing an injustice to God because God cannot be made physical because of how omnipotent, omniscient, omni-whatever, omnis or omnes means all or every. Right, so if you are omnipotent and you are potens potentis in Latin, you are powerful. You are omnipotent, and you are all powerful. That's what it means etymologically if you break it apart. Two Latin words to make the English word omnipotent omni all potent coming from potens powerful. It's so where you get potential energy potential energy that can be built up and made more powerful through its stored energy, which then can be released into kinetic energy, kinesis meaning movement in the Greek. So potential energy derived from Latin, kinetic energy, Greek. That has nothing to do with our moral and or myths and or Theseus and the Minotaur. So I don't want to get on a little bit of a ramble-bamble on etymology here. I'm sure I'll find a way in which I'll do that throughout this episode. Would love to have you stick with me. And hopefully I've got you reeled in. Let's have a little story time. I don't know. Sit back. Relax. Just soak it all up and in. Pop some popcorn. Draw. Draw. Draw, pic- draw a picture of the imagery that you think that the island of Crete is or what the labyrinth might look like. In fact, another little, little tidbit before we get into this here is that the word clue, C-L-U-E, actually comes from the thread that Ariadne gives Theseus, and uh, but that was actually spelt as C-L-E-W. And that was the thread, aka the clue that Theseus used in order to get back to where he was after he killed the Minotaur. So, with that being said, let's not belabor anything else and get right on into it. So, this will give you an opportunity to pause, go grab a little snacky-poo, Get yourself some coffee, kick back, some tea, relax. Let's listen and let's get something from this because I think I'm going to be doing more of these. I like doing them. This is what I do with my high school students and when we get further into our grammar concepts, my middle schoolers as well. We just did Pandora's Box of which I probably will go back and do on this podcast of first, I'll set up the stage with Prometheus and Epimetheus. Prometheus bringing fire to humanity, which in turn is what sets up the, um, the folding of events that comes to Zeus getting all petty like he always does and doing the crappy, bappy stuff that he always does. So with that being said, let's get into it. righty. Once upon a time a long, long time ago, way off in a far, far away land. Lived a king named Minos who ruled the island of Crete. And he was angered by the Athenians for the murder of his son, Androgeus, Androgeus. In fact, Andro in the Greek means man. Geus comes from the Gens Gentis which means type or class. Just refers to manly, essentially, androgeous. In revenge, Minos, he demanded that the Athenians send him a tribute of seven young men and seven young women every nine years. These, we'll call them youths, adolescents, if you will were to be sacrificed to the Minotaur, who was a half-man, a half-bull, monster essentially, that lived in the labyrinth. Makes me think of David Bowie and the Rock, an awesome movie he did back in the day. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely go check it out. The Power of Voodoo. A vast and confusing maze thereafter was built to keep that labyrinth in there, and guess who was it? Who it was crafted by? Our one and only Daedalus, of which we will get into the myth of Icarus and Daedalus at some point. One year, Theseus, the son of King Aegeus of Athens, volunteered to be one of the tributes. He was really determined, essentially, to slay the Minotaur and really feel, free his people from this curse, because essentially it was a curse, you know. Every nine years, seven men, seven women, not sure why it was seven equaling 14, because seven times two is 14, but he wanted to lift this curse. He was a hero, quote unquote, although heroes in Greek mythology don't end up being that heroic because we were talking about in a class the other day how Agamemnon, sacrificed his daughter don't think that's pretty heroic especially the reasons why he sacrificed his daughter that could be another myth that we'll do another day so speeding forward when theseus arrived in crete he was met by ariadne the daughter of king minos now theseus didn't really go Uh, to Crete off of his own volition. He was chosen, but he went valiantly. He went and assumed the position, if you will. It's a very interesting story how it leads up. Because he arrives in Crete, he meets Ariadne, And Ariadne falls in love with Theseus, and she basically agrees to help him on the side hand, even though Minos is her dad. She gives him that ball of thread, aka clue, spelled C-L-E-W, which he could use to find his way through the labyrinth. So now that we know that, we're going to speed it back just a little bit because we have to also include the children that came with Theseus as tribute to Crete. Once they arrived, Theseus informed King Minos that he had meant to kill the Minotaur. He came there, he was valiantly taking on that duty. King Minos told the prince that if he could perform this task, he and all of his friends might go free, and that nothing more should ever be said about the tribute. So, pretty enticing, if you will. The truth is, this horrible minotaur was not really that pleasant. I'm, you really don't want to get you don't know, uh, you really don't want to deal with this guy because once you went into that labyrinth there was always the possibility that you may never get out of the labyrinth and, uh, you just do never-ending damage to yourself. And that's kind of the point It shows in an ideological way, the cunning nature and the innovative knowledge that the Minoans, uh, were capable of along with Daedalus. So therefore King Minos would really have been very glad to get rid of the Minotaur because at this point, it was also a curse for him. The reason why the Minotaur came about was because um, I believe it was Poseidon gifted him a beautiful white bull, but Minos didn't want to kill the bull. So then Poseidon was ticked off and he cursed his wife with falling in love with the bull. And then as you can see, one plus two equals the product of the Minotaur Taurus bull Minos King Minos or of Minos, the bull of Minos. Um, but nevertheless, didn't really think that Theseus would really do much. In fact, it was whatever, so hence. There wasn't really much hope for this hero's success. Nobody really thought it, except for Ariadne. So the first night that the young Athenians were thrown into the dungeon under the palace of King Minos, one of them being destined for Minos' breakfast in the morning, was the case. Directly over this dungeon were the rooms of the two daughters of King Minos, Ariadne and Phaedra. As the two sisters stood on the wall, enjoying the moonlight, they heard the complaining of the prisoners. Um, They hear them kind of just trying to calm themselves down. They were going to go in one at a time. And Theseus, trying to be always the valiant, tortured soul of Clint Eastwood, said hardly anything and would always just eat his food at the designated times of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Ariadne really pitied them. She was like, all these guys are just gonna become food for the Minotaur. And she really pitied Prince Theseus most of all. She thought he was brave. He liked his face. He liked his rippling muscles. She was a little, little uh, Twitter-pated, if you will. So she wanted to help. Phaedra was really eager, as Ariadne uh, was, to help the young prince. So the two made a plan. And they thought it might succeed, but we'll see. So they waited until all of the king's households were asleep and like i had talked about before this is when the clue is given but upon entering the room of which all the the adolescents were worn worn out with lethargy and anxiety all the prisoners but theseus had fallen asleep theseus was wide awake Ariadne looked at him and gestured for him to come out. Then she and Phaedra took him to the place where the famous labyrinth stood. Its white marble walls looked so very high and strong in the moonlight. The night was very still, except for the sound of the waves crashing on the shore, and Theseus could clearly hear the heavy, heavy breathing of the sleeping minotaur. Ariadne indicated at this point that this is the best time to attack the creature. Don't wait till the morning. And Theseus knew she was right. The Minotaur's den is a very, is it really actually the very heart of the labyrinth. So, what she said was, in order to find your way back, Here's a clue of yarn by by means of which, after you've killed the monster, you can find your way back home. So with that clue of yarn, Theseus tied it to himself as he entered the labyrinth. So with these words, she handed him the sword, the clue of yarn of which she kept one end in her own hand. Then she opened the door for him And leading to the secret passage, he led himself into the labyrinth. Theseus holding this sword in one hand and the string of yarn in the other entered the labyrinth. The interior, as all cut up into narrow paths as as it stood, also bordered with, with high marbled walls. I always wonder what it would look like. So many of these paths ended in a blank wall that Theseus often had to retrace with his steps. So he was doubling back on his clue of yarn, going back and in and out and weaving through this labyrinth. There never was another labyrinth so complicated as this one. Which was like always but i'll reiterate made and formed by the famous daedalus it was made as winding and confusing as the menander river which is where we actually get the word meander and actually it's pronounced meander river not menander back and forth in and out theseus went trying to sift his way through the labyrinth. He could hear the heavy breathing sometimes getting closer and then reaching a dead end, he would double back and that breathing would get fainter. And then again, it would get stronger and then having to double back again, it would get fainter. He kept on giving himself slight anxiety as well as I would too, if I would continue to hear the breathing, hear the fact that you could hear the minotaur, but then... He didn't know quite where he was. There wasn't a lot of light to help him. Meanwhile, all this time, Ariadne and Phaedra stood at the gate. Ariadne was still holding her yarn at her end. They probably waited a long time. I don't know how long, but probably a pretty long time. They could not tell how long, just like I said. It was because the moon was set behind the hills and left only the light of the stars. So then they heard a great roar and it shook the strong, strong walls of the labyrinth. After that, everything was still. It was hard for Ariadne to wait, especially now after hearing all those noises, the cacophony of sounds, She didn't know whether Theseus might be laying dead inside or the Minotaur. Or maybe he might have dropped the yarn in the fight, and then he'd be lost forever. At last, she felt the string of the yarn tighten. And in a moment more, and without a moment more, tumbling over my words here, Theseus came, emerging from the the darkness into the light, saying that he had killed the Minotaur and that he had been slain. Fortunately, the boat that had brought Theseus and his companions to Crete was still lying on the shore. This made it possible for them to escape from King Minos before daylight. But from my understanding, there are so many iterations of the myth that in some myths, Theseus is the last guy to go as each dude is kind of taken off one by one by one by one by one each day until it gets to Theseus. There is this iteration of Theseus doing it before any of the youths are actually deployed as well into the mix. And he's able to save them. But still, again, remember, Theseus is still a young guy. And although he is a hero, heroes and Greek heroes weren't that heroic. And I have the impression from my understanding that Theseus left those guys on Crete. And he also didn't really want to take Ariadne, but took Ariadne with him because she had helped him. And because she was also following, following him around and he, he couldn't get rid of her. Sadly. I know that's kind of crappy to say, but yeah. So, get a little, little bit of water here, a little parched. So, <clears throat> they leave, they they get out of there, and uh, let's just say that for the sake of argument, the only people that left and escaped were Ariadne and Theseus. Something that I had not yet mentioned but is worth noting is that Aegeus, king of Athens at this time, gave his son, Theseus, a white flag to sail upon docking back into Athens after the journey. And he was like, if, if the sail is flying black, I'll know that you have perished. But if you fly this white sail, that means you lived and you'll give me a semblance of peace and harmony. At least I guess. So with that being said, and with that being my ism, On their way to Athens, the two young individuals stopped at the island of Naxos, And maybe the young men also accompanied them. I know that uh, Phaedra was not with them. But it's been a long day of rowing. And sometimes it makes me think with my logical brain that it probably wasn't just Theseus and Ariadne that left because I don't think that Theseus is that fit enough for him to actually um, paddle himself all the way back from Crete to Athens, but I don't know. Maybe he had bolder shoulders and some sick biceps and freaking crazy back. I don't know. Anyways, they rested, and during the very, very middle of the night, And or very early morning, Theseus being like, yo, Ariadne's boring, Uh, she's annoying, I need to get out of here. I told her that I liked her, but that was really just because I needed to do my job, a.k.a. kill the Minotaur. So I was under the impression that Theseus always kind of manipulated Ariadne. I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on what iterations of the myth that you've heard. If Theseus is a good guy, a little bit more of a poopy butthole, I don't know. But they left, and they left Ariadne, or he left Ariadne, depending on whether he was with those youths or not. And uh, the poor princess just awoke, and she couldn't hardly believe that Theseus left. He deserted her. And... But, uh, well, actually, however, there was the boat dancing on the waves almost out of sight. She was watching it. She was. She basically watched it until it was no longer seen. She was crying. She was upset. And then she heard really strange music sounds of ta- tambourines and pipes and a lyre, maybe. Maybe a clash of cymbals as well. And she turned and looked toward the woods behind her, from which the sounds came and a chariot drawn by two panthers came. Love this guy. If you don't know, that's the chariot of Bacchus, the god of wine, Weenum, wearing a spotted deer skin and a crown of cool iv- ivy leaves. He was surrounded by a very merry dancing crowd of nymphs and satyrs. When Bacchus heard Ariadne's story, he said, Theseus should certainly have taken you to Athens. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, considering all that you did to help him, he ought to have at least made you the queen. I mean, come on. Look at all that you did, Ariadne. You are a queen. You are queen. But never mind. You're going to have something better than that now a better crown than that of the crown that Theseus would have given you. So with these words, the god placed a crown of nine bright stars on Ariadne's head. After this, he persuaded the other gods to take her up into the sky among themselves. There in the northern sky, her crown still shines. That's the ideological myth regarding Ariadne. You know, with all this courage that Theseus had He was also an oddly forgetful man. Maybe he smoked a little too much weed. That short term memory loss really got him because after he left Ariadne on the island, he had promised to raise that white flag upon his, uh, you know, wayward bound direction towards home. I don't know what I was trying to say there. He promised told his dad he would, but what had happened was upon docking into the ports of Athens, he still was f- sailing that stupid ominous black flag. And guess what? Poor old King Aegeus watching from the rock of which he was seeing the, his son's ship dock into port. He saw that black flag And thinking that his son was dead, he just threw himself into the sea through so much sorrow of his own. And now that's actually why we call that sea adjacent to Greece, to the east, the Aegean Sea. So there you go with that. Theseus was made king. He was brought to his mother, Aithra, and uh, he took good care of her for the rest of her life. He ruled kind of wisely, and he was kind to the poor and the unfortunate. So that's really the myth. And that's really where we get some ideological myths uh, that arise from it. Like clue, for instance. What is a clue? Well, it's what Ariadne did in order to help Theseus not get lost in the labyrinth. You also have things like the Aegean Sea. You have all of these implications adding to the fact. But also, Theseus, man, what the heck? Why would you do that? I think it really goes to show that the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur kind of has a n- number of moral implications. It does teach us about courage and strength and determination in overcoming greatest challenges. Um, but it also, it teaches us about human nature and the need and willingness to succeed and strive and sometimes at the cost and collateral damage of others which is kind of unfortunate you know you have these ideological myths that set up the stage like the curse of minos like i said was the king of crete and he was granted a beautiful white bull by poseidon but he, he didn't sacrifice that bull like he was supposed to. And Poseidon being angered, cursed Minos by making his wife queen uh, Pasiphae. I always mess her name up. It's spelled P-A-S-I-P-H-A-E. Pasif- Pasiphae? I don't know. Pacify. No, I know that that A-E is more of an A sound. That being said, another embedded aspect to the story is how did that happen? Even though she fell in love with the bull, how did the whole consummation really occur? I know that that sounds weird, but this is a part of the story. So the wife, the queen, Passive driven by that unnatural love for the bull, sought the help of the craftsman, Daedalus. Daedalus created a wooden cow costume for Pacife to hide inside, allowing her to mate with the bull, essentially. That's really what happened. And the result was the union of uh, the two making the Minotaur. Two reactants making the product. Reactants, not Daedalus, Pasiphae, and the bull. Product, Minotaur the creature uh with the body of a man and the head of a bull now we add the labyrinth and we have daedalus here to conceal the monstrous offspring because king minos was really really disgusted by it all and didn't want people to know about it he ordered daedalus to build an elaborate elaborate labyrinth beneath the palace of gnosis Okay, that's what the palace was called. It was spelled K-N-O-S-S-O-S. The labyrinth had a lot of complex winding passages designed uh, for it to be impossible to navigate and also for the minotaur to never escape as well. The, 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 um, The king didn't want the minotaur. He was disgusted by the minotaur. It was a reminder of his disgust for his wife as well. Then came this Athenian tribute that was actually a deal stricken by both or struck by both King Minos and King Aegeus. And there you gave seven men, seven women to the cause of sacrificing and quelling the hunger of the Minotaur. Theseus and the Minotaur is really, well, kind of the whole ideological understanding and or moral implication of that courage and bravery, but also with an added and embedded aspect of being a poopy butthole alongside because he kind of uses Ariadne to make sure that he uh, gets out of the uh, snafu that he's in. And then after the fact, and after slaying the Minotaur, Theseus And you know what, let's go ahead and say that the other Athenian youths joined him because he saved them all. And let's say that he was the hero that he was, even though he had some things that weren't that great about him as well. And they all started to sail back. And let's just say, you know what, maybe that the youths were in on it. And they also were like, hey, bye-bye, Ariadne. Bye. See you later. Uh, You're sleeping. Stay asleep because Theseus thinks you're annoying and kind of clingy. So... There you go. They fled. They went back. Theseus was a dummy, poopy butthole. Had a really bad short-term memory and/or long-term memory, and/or was just a forgetful dude because he uh, smoked too much weed. And um, because of that, he has to lay—not really lay. He has to deal with the the comp. Why am I saying complications? I'm getting tongue tied here. He has to deal with his consequences. There we go. The consequence of his actions or lack thereof. So even though he came unscathed, there was still collateral damage. And that was his dad. So maybe in a way, Theseus lived for Aegeus to die. I don't know. What do you guys think? There's this origination of the Minotaur, the construction of the labyrinth, all of this embedded within the myth. Why, why do we have this myth? Is it just a story? Is there more things embedded in it? Is it a filler story to fill in between things that happened prior to that event with Daedalus and why he was there and why he was held up in the highest tower in Gnosis? With his son, I don't know. But with all that being said, I hope you enjoyed this. We learned that the heroes and Greek heroes within mythology really aren't all that heroic. They maybe are a little heroic in their cause of defeating whatever, you know, obstacle they encounter, but they have little regard for the people around them. Rather sociopathic, in my opinion. Like I said, we have people like Agamemnon. Yeah, have people like Odysseus, man. He was a hero. He was cunning, sly, keen, but also kind of a poopy butthole too. He was maybe the least of the poopy buttholes. Think about Achilles. The Iliad literally starts out with the line of the wrath of Achilles. In fact, the Iliad is about the wrath of Achilles, and the Aeneid is about the wrath of Juno, a.k.a. Hera, a.k.a. Zeus's wife. With all that being said, Hopefully that's setting the stage for you guys to know that we're going to have some more myths getting populated here in the near future. So if you enjoyed this, would love to hear your opinions. I would like to hear your thoughts. Maybe you've read a different iteration of the myth, because these myths tend to change in translation because trans means across. Lation means to care and or to bear bear. It's a carrying across from one language to another and there's an art about translations that occur as well that's why there's so many iterations of the the bible right from hebrew from other languages as well that had been translated into english well they all change a little bit and there are nuances to the way in which an author translates the context within a story so with all that I'm done-ity-done. I hope you guys learned something new if you didn't know about at least Clue or the moral implications or that Theseus was not as good as you maybe thought he was. But with all, with all that being said, I hope you guys take care. Maybe take a moment to, to look down at your body and appreciate it for what it is and think about the things that you don't think about, like your hands and how dexterous they are dexter meaning right hand in latin therefore ambidextrous just means ambi on both sides dexterous means right hand when you are ambidextrous you are right-handed on both sides sinister means left hand because those are the evil people you guys know about that kind of stuff and if not then i would like for you guys to add a little bit and be like yo mr Connolly. yo dude man Heard you mention something about sinister being left hand in Latin. Would like to know a little bit more about that. And I'll do it. They're pretty cool though. They help us ground us to this world. Just like our feet, the pads of our feet, our toes that we can wiggle right now, and then we can plant them down on the ground. And that in turn helps us be grounded to the energy of this world. There's a connection to it all. I be, I do believe. I'm done being philosophical. Tempus est discedere.